Hello, everyone. This is Shane Petkowitz. Welcome to another episode of Zero. Uh, very excited to have Mary Nyaduai join us from Kenya. She is a very inspiring entrepreneur and inventor that is trying to uh, bring the circular economy space to the fore in Eastern Africa. In particular, she focuses on trying to create a social environmental impact startup by creating eco-friendly and body-friendly sanitary pads um, offering these sanitary pads to millions of women and girls uh, that have ac lack access uh, to these uh, um, pads throughout Eastern Africa. Uh, her goal is to try to make these pads safe, accessible, and affordable to the majority of women and girls, and do so in a way that benefits both the uh, women uh, using these pads, but also the local communities by trying to utilize uh, agricultural waste to create these products. So. Uh, doing some really exciting work, both in the environmental and social space, and uh, was really inspiring to hear her journey, and uh, what motivated her to enter into the circular economy and entrepreneurship space, uh, the challenges she's facing, and her goals for, for expanding this across Eastern Africa. Nyungu is a Swahili word that means pot, which is the symbolic representation of the womb of the woman. Yes. Great. And I think we're going to be uh, talking about the, the, the womb a bit throughout this conversation. Uh, it was very, uh, very exciting to hear about the model that you've developed, uh, where you combine both social and environmental impact. And with the goal of, of producing uh, sanitary pads for women in East Africa uh, that are both uh, lower cost uh, and uh, beneficial to the women who are using them from a sanitary perspective, but also have a lot of environmental benefits because you're using a circular approach, right? Can you just speak to the, the model you've created? So uh, I think even before I talk about the model is the reason, the reasons why I even thought about this model was because of frustration. So for years, I was very frustrated because the sanitary pads we have in East Africa and Africa as a whole are substandard products. And that was brought into light through a viral hashtag that happened in 2019 where women were complaining of constant irritation and itching and rashes from using a popular brand of sanitary towels. So when compared to the same brand in your countries in the West, in the global North, of course, there was a big disparity. And um, that was when the innovation bug, you know, caught me and I started doing research. And then I found out that, uh, you know, a lot of sanitary pads, most conventional pads that we have are made of wood pulp. So that means a lot of trees have to be cut so that sanitary pads can be made. And it doesn't make sense because the, the innovation in the sanitary industry has remained the same for the last 50 years. So, but, but if you compare the products in the global North with what we have here, it's completely different. Our products have a lot of toxic, toxic chemicals and plastic. And with that information, I was able to research and even collaborate with a material scientist 
will now you know form what we now call Nyungu Africa, which is now using you know agricultural waste to agricultural waste of pineapples and cornhouse fibers to create the sanitary pads. So the the, the model was because this, the same products which are biodegradable from other brands are priced quite expensive. So for Nyungu, the model was for every product that we are going to sell, we're going to donate one to every woman or girl in need. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's um, really admirable. And I can definitely, having worked at a startup, I can definitely, empathize with the, the innovation bug that you talked about of, of really getting, uh, having a lot of passion for a particular project and, and wanting to work on that. So I think maybe I'm actually, now that you mentioned it, maybe let's focus a little bit on that because it sounds like prior to this, you weren't too involved in innovation. You were, you were involved in, in journalism and you were a product manager for a TV show, but this would be a little bit of a jump. How, how are you finding it? So that's, that, I think that's the most interesting part about my journey because uh, a lot of people ask me, so is, is your background in research or have you done like biology or, or you know, um, any scientific background you have to be able to even invent a product? And my answer is a very simple no. I was just a, a woman who was very frustrated and the conditions were perfect for an innovation to come out because, and also the right people were there when I was looking for answers, uh, a case in point of Dr. Kenyanjui. But prior to that, I remember, um, even when I was, when I was uh, a mobile journalist, I really tended to focus on gender impact stories and the inequality in the menstrual hygiene space. Or if I wasn't doing that, I was very involved in doing you know, uh, donating sanitary products to girls in very needy areas, in marginalized areas, and even going to secondary schools to, to really educate girls on proper hygiene, money, proper menstrual health education. And it was also the time when um, I was also curating a lot of stuff around the feminine space, female sexuality, that I got um, wind of the kind of disparity that we have in the menstrual space. So even before I got the innovation, I was already doing a lot of advocacy and advocacy work, both online and on the ground. So when now this hashtag happened, it was just like the, the you know, the culmination of all this work that I had done. And I just needed to find the right people. And as I say, the right storm for me to start the, the, the company. Understood, understood. And so can you just speak into the, the, the advocacy work that you were doing? Because I think it sounds like there, I don't know if there still is, but maybe at the time that you were starting this work that there's almost a stigma associated with the, the space of uh, sanitary pads. And, and you gave a, you've given a lot of examples in your, in uh, your past talks about how it, it can be in some ways uh, quite shameful, unfortunately, uh, for, for women to have their periods. Is that, can you just speak a little bit to what that environment is like in, in, uh, in, in the communities that you work in? 
Oh, definitely. Um, and I think even one of the worst, the worst cases that really even drove me to start the company was when there was a little girl called Jacqueline Chepneno who committed suicide when she was shamed for starting her period in class. You know, when you listen to such stories and there were also a lot of, um, you know, news outlets, even the stories that I was doing as a journalist for homeless women who are using mattresses or cardboards to manage their periods. And then I go to uh, the Northern frontier, this very hot marginalized communities where some communities have never even seen what a sanitary pad looks like, literally the stories that and what we were hearing was the women who used to go outside the community, you're secluded for a few days, you come back when your period is over. And also, you know, the stigma that is associated with, you know, the vagina. So um, anything concerned with blood or the feminine reproductive system is still considered taboo, which has now created that culture of silence towards menstruation. So even doing this work, you, you still see there's a lot of hesitance from girls and women to speak up about the issues that they have on menstruation. So it's still an ongoing conversation that even we're still doing at Nyungu uh, as, as we're also developing the product. Yeah, and how, in terms of breaking that silence and having these conversations, how does that happen? And, and, and Obviously, if, if there's uh, some sense of not wanting to speak up, how do you go out and even from like a commercial perspective or entrepreneurial perspective, how do you go and reach out to your potential clients if it's if they're not always interested in speaking about these issues? So luckily, what I do for, for the online space, because we're dealing with uh, women who are very digital savvy, it's very easy for me to push content, which is period positive. But on the ground, it means um, going on the streets and, and collaborating with organizations. We have community-based organizations who have a great reach in these communities and telling them, please let me know if you can be able to gather a few women. I'd like to come and give a talk about periods and let them know um, the right way to manage their periods. And of course, when you go there, you're, you're going with sanitary products to donate. And you'll see, even when you ask these women, so please tell us um, if you have any questions. They're not really, they're very keen to listen, but you can see they're very shy and they don't talk about it. But I think we measure the impact by the, the number of women who come because the number keeps increasing of the women who wanted to come and attend these talks. Even in schools, when I say, when I go to schools and I say, I want to give talks, um, I, I'm always received very warmly because um, children want to, this puberty, this students who have adolescence want to listen to somebody who has a, a depth of knowledge about it. So it, 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 it's, it's really encouraging to see that there is a kind of a culture shift towards menstruation. And I think even the most beautiful experience was when we went to Marsabit. Marsabit is um, a very dry uh, area in Kenya, which is very marginalized. But I remember when we were having these conversations, there were a lot of men uh, who are really, you know, uh, encouraging us. And you see this uh, very 
these are communities which in fact menstruation is really really taboo there but we are seeing a lot of a lot of men coming into the conversation which is now you know helping us to break barriers with regards to menstruation and of course um i think the government has also been very supportive when it comes to policies uh to make menstruation more um, affordable like uh scrapping out tax for menstrual products um kenya was one of the first countries to do it in 2004 and then we had this um the basic amendment act which stipulates that school going pupils who are of who have started menstruating should be able to access free sanitary towels so you see at least people our government understands how important um addressing issues of um, menstruation are important for development absolutely and it, it, i can imagine that well it's great to hear that you're getting the support uh, increasing support and then also at the government levels because i can imagine that the impact is is really significant because at a minimum at least you're providing uh kind of a more comfortable sanitary pad option uh but on the other hand if you're offering someone an opportunity to not have to go be excluded from the community for a few days every month or so that's that's really impactful on, on their life as i would imagine and so do you do you work uh in terms of other stakeholders so do you do you work actively with um other with the governments uh, i know you mentioned in this community where you you were working particularly with with uh, some of the uh, the men of the community do you work with other stakeholders as well yes um i'm very involved with other stakeholders so at least every month i'm always if i'm not donating pads to a different um you know community health organization i'm either holding a talk somewhere just to drive the conversation about you know menstrual equity so in terms of the government i think where the government has come into play in nyungu africa is creating um an environment for research and development so because when we were doing research of finding the efficacy of how these fibers would be used to make the sanitary pads i had applied for our incubator at the Kenya Institute of Research and Development and I was accepted and I was selected with 15 other women to train on production of sanitary towels so I've also benefited a lot from government assistance in terms of even having the space to create and really to do research and so far uh it's been great Yeah that's that's fantastic to hear that you're getting that support. And if if we just take a step back just focusing on the social aspect of providing sanitary pads is obviously uh, really admirable. What made you want to incorporate an environmental or a circular aspect to this because I'm sure I mean one option maybe I'm wrong but one option could have just been to make an improved uh just an improvement on the current sanitary pads right and then still do the advocacy work so why why did you decide to do a, a whole new material type well because w- when i was doing research apart from finding out that uh, the the current sanitary pads that we use are made with a cocktail of toxic chemicals now i had never known that uh, a sanitary pad is equivalent to four plastic bags and at the time 
the conversation about plastic pollution had not reached to the to the heights that it is right now. So I think in 2019 was when there was this talk about sustainable periods, and now uh, people were talking, making the switch to a green menstruation. So when we when we were having we were doing the research with Dr. Kenyan Jui, who is who is a very integral part of Nyungu, we were like, it's not just enough to create um, or improve the what is in the market. Let us just revolutionize and make a pad that is completely plastic free using locally available materials. Yeah. So once we were able, that was our objective. So we plunged all the resources that we had to make sure that the product that we were supposed to, the product that we created uh, ticked the boxes of, yes, it's going to be um, a complete overhaul for what we have in the market, but it's also going to be good for the environment. Amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited just hearing about your revolution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And and so and so, what materials do you? And I know you mentioned it earlier, but what uh, can you just speak? You use um, you use uh, like a pineapple husks, or is is that correct? The, the material that you landed on right? it has to do with pineapples, right? Yes, we use we use the pineapple leaves and the corn husk fibers. I have never failed to mention that I feel like um, nyungu. When I, when I look at and join the dots backwards, I feel that the conditions for starting the, this company were made, I think, when I was 10 years old, because I have grown up in Thika. Thika is uh, the capital city, or let me just call it the headquarters of growing plantations. 99% of all pineapples which are exported from Kenya come from where I live. So I have seen pineapples literally every single day of my life. And um, so when now 2019 approached and, and I, I was doing research, obviously the first plant I, I wanted to research with was pineapple leaves. And that's what I landed on. And it was very beautiful to see. When I saw the fibers, I was so excited. I remember I rushed to Kirdi two days later. And then I found Dr. Kenyanjui. And the most beautiful thing that happened was he had left to go to Singapore for four years. So by the time I was going to Kirdi, he had just arrived a week before. And I remember I said, uh, I was given his contact and I called him and I told him, my name is Mirinya Rai. I've been doing research on pineapple leaves and I need, I need your help. And he said, come over and when you're coming, bring a lot of samples of the pineapple leaves. And that's how um, the relationship was built and how, that's how Nyungu was formed. You see, so when I, when I, when, as I said, um, when I look at the conditions, the conditions were just right for making the sanitary pads and making the company. So now we, we're also looking for alternatives because the good thing about corn husk fibers, apart from producing cellulose, they can also produce corn plastic, which is bioplastic. So we're looking at a, a material that can produce two things, um, which I said is the, the cellulose that can be used as the absorbent core for the pad, and also the bioplastic for the back sheet so that the blood does not leak to the panties. And then I must also mention that um, 
in terms of circularity, what I love about this solution is that when we remove the fibers, the residue that we normally get can also be uh, transformed into biogas, you know, because it produces methane, or uh, which can which which is very fantastic if you ask me. And also, we were having these conversations with um, a, a few friends of mine. They were like, you know, you can also combust this residue to create biochar and use it for farms as as uh, as and as soil as a soil amendment and also using it, using it as manure. So I mean, the possibilities and the solutions that this one solution is doing, even for, for the soil, is beautiful. Absolutely, and it, it just sounds like the, the stars just really aligned for, for Nyungo and, and you and him. And so when, when you started developing this new sanitary pad with uh, the different fibers that were coming from, from uh, pineapples. Did you have to have a, uh, what were those conversations like with the people that supplied the pineapples? Were, were they, I assume they were excited because they get a new way to handle something that they would otherwise throw away, right? Were they open to having your conversations or not so much? Oh my God, they, they were, they couldn't believe it, you know? You know, the first time I went to the farm, I, I met Mr. Francis, who is still a very good supplier to us for the pineapple leaves. And he kept on asking, are you sure this thing, they make pads how? Because he, he couldn't think about, he couldn't uh, grasp his mind about that concept. So, and now he, he got so excited. And um, a few months ago, he was telling us, you know, I'm actually thinking of starting a cooperative of you know bringing more farmers on board because what we want to do is also improve the livelihoods of small scale farmers who who plant pineapples so so I, I remember when we went to his farm excuse me the first time we had we found a huge pile of the pineapple leaves because it's considered waste so normally what farmers do is they either burn the leaves or they leave them on the farms to rot or if, if in excess they give their, their the animals as feedstock. But um, so I remember when when we took the first time he gave us the waste for free because it was like, I can't believe until I see the pad. So we took it. And then now of course we, we started looking for um, a revenue model for them so that they would be incentivized even to give us waste and even sort for us, collect it, cut it. So along the value chain, we are seeing, um, you know, farmers like especially Mr. Francis it got, is getting some money uh, to to get rid of the waste from his farms. And even along the value chain, we are able to give employment to young people who collect the waste for us and help us to sort it and also now take it to the production facility. Yeah, and it must just be such a great feeling to to be able to have that benefit and, and positive outcome when you're giving a revenue, providing a revenue stream and allowing to create these cooperatives for communities where you grew up in, right? It's gotta be, it's gotta be a good feeling to, to see that happen. Yes, definitely, definitely. And then there, I mean, this is just very impressive. So I'm, I'm just excited and it's great to see that the project is going. 
and there's so many different aspects to it, right? That you're that you're working on, right? That you have you're working with local agricultural cooperatives. Uh, you're developing a new revolutionary sanitary pad using a new material science, and then you're also working on uh, in, in addressing uh, period poverty, right? And, and so there do, does that. With there's so many things that are getting your attention, does that give you energy? Is it is it a lot of how do you respond to that? Well, um, I think what makes me move forward every day is the eagerness now because now we've we've done research and development, we've we've done our pilot testing, we've gotten good. Uh, you know, good feedback, but we've gotten so much um, goodness from a lot of people prior to even launching the product. So I'm imagining the kind of reception that we're going to get once the products are in the market, because now we've done the background work. So of course now the work involved is how to get funding to build now products for the market which now we are aggressively in the fundraising uh, period right now. So as far as we're concerned, we, we, have, we are already seeing impact even before the product has been launched in the market. So that is what is even driving us to, to continue, you know, um, every day we're just putting our best foot forward and making sure that uh, putting our targets and making sure that by the end of this year, we're going to launch a product in the market because we know that we have an eager audience who are willing, waiting to use our product. And of course, the business model truly, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So every day we're motivated to do this work. That's great to hear. And um, I wanted to shift a little bit. One thing that you mentioned that it struck me was that you said that uh, one sanitary pad is the equivalent of, of four plastic bags, which is an interesting metric, and I'd never really thought of it that way. And you, you spoke about the, the ongoing conversation about plastic pollution. So from that perspective, what, what is the, the level of discourse that you're finding about pollution in, in your circles and in your work? Is that, are people trying to address plastic pollution or just pollution in general? Um, has that become mainstream conversation? The, the, we, the, the, our country, our president banned a single-use plastic in 2017. And if you really think about it, sanitary pads are single-use plastics. So, the, and of course, the, the recent UN plastic treaty that happened in Nairobi was a very big deal. So I'm really curious to see what conversations are going to move forward from that. I think um, it's going to be very interesting to see um, the kind of collaborations that are going to happen. And if the government is going to pick out, you know, industries or other companies which are really doing sustainable, sustainable practices or even circular economy or using circular economy principles in their production, because if we truly want to address the issue of plastic pollution and um, sanitary pads are also big plastic pollutants, I think the government should now shed a light or even call us social and climate positive enterprises such as Nyungu 
and actually uh, fund us to be able to even supply or procure pulp to these countries. I mean, sorry, to these um, other industries that are producing sanitary pads. Yeah. So for now, it's a it's a wait and see uh, situation in Kenya, and I think for most countries in Africa. Yes, the whole world is talking about plastic pollution, but do we have enough infrastructure to be able to produce uh, non-plastic materials, or do we, uh, or if, what are the collaborations that we can see between the countries in the global north and here? to help us get rid of the plastic waste because we are really a very huge consumerist continent. So, you know, capacity building for such innovations to be able to thrive is what we're trying to see is if it's going to happen in the next two or three years. Yeah, and I, I can imagine, it's a great point that you mentioned about needing to develop the alternative industries that can supply these materials, that's, it, it, it doesn't just happen overnight because you need to develop, not only the, do the material science, but then you also need to scale up. And it sounds like you've already looked, you're, you're starting to think about scaling up. You obviously said you're, you have aggressive goals to, to expand by the end of the year into the market. So is that, is that scaling and, and creating this infrastructure to create these alternative uh, bio-based materials that alternatives to plastics is that is that something that you think about a lot for your for Nyungu or is that how, how are you thinking about that um in terms of scaling I think it's it's both it goes both ways because we really um the infrastructure of making an entire production unit from you know from from production from the farms, removing the raw materials from the farms up to the finished product is huge capital investment. So, but we know it's possible because already we are seeing the kind of partners who have come out to say they want to partner with us. So for us, it's really to see how do we, you know, capitalize on these partnerships that we have and what conversations are we having to make sure that if, if you're not gonna have the products by the end of the year, at least we have made sure that we have the, the space to build the infrastructure for the kind of product that we want to build for the customers. So whatever comes first, um, we're going to hit the ground running and, and work with what we have. And are you finding that uh, because they are so capital intensive, these projects and scaling up, is that, is that something that's accessible uh, either at the government level? Is there is there private funding? Where, where are those funding sources coming from? So that's the, I think that's the biggest issue we have because Kenya is one of the biggest successful tech hubs. So we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, venture capitalist firms really heavily invested in tech firms in, in Kenya, Nairobi, but we're not feeling the same kind of support, especially for social businesses. So you really have to fight so hard to be seen as even a woman-led business. So even getting funding has been sort of difficult. So we really, you know, relying on uh, grant funding and, you know, grant funding is very, takes a very long process. So you can imagine we already have everything we need to launch this company, but what is holding us back is capital because, you know, um, a lot of companies or, or a lot of investors are really, you know, prefer 
profit over impact. So even before you get a meeting with a with an angel investor, you have to um, you know knock on so many doors and sometimes you get so many no's. So it's really it's very discouraging. So and and the good the bad thing about grants is you get a grant, you you do a milestone, and then when the grant is finished, you wait for another grant. And before the timelines before between two grants can take three to six months. So you see for three to six months, your business is literally stalled as you wait for another, another grant to come in and be able to do another milestone. So you see, if you have a continuous capital injection, we wouldn't be suffering these setbacks in the business. So, but I'm really happy because over the last few months, um, I've been seeing a lot of interest from people who want to not necessarily give capital, but even just you know technical and business advisory services, which I know are going to come in handy when the big capital comes in. And also, uh, we have a lot of partners from you know Impact Hub in Amsterdam. So we're really trying to capitalize on what we have to see if we can be able to raise a, a desirable amount of funding by the end of this year and be able to get the investment of infrastructure that we need. I can imagine that the uh, yeah the, the fundraising is a challenge and and we do um, I don't know is there any what uh, I'm just trying to think of how to how to support um, what, what, if for someone listening what, what what's one way that they they would be able to support? Um, we we're really considering you know crowdsourcing for funds very soon, so I think one way for people is to follow us on our social media. Uh, on <clears throat> at Nyungu Africa and see maybe where we are with that. That would really be great. So that when we launch a crowdfunding campaign, we have a lot of uh, information on people's ears that we need support to really you know, bring this company up. And I also um, think what audiences can do is we're really in the precipice of a huge change when it comes to climate uh, conversations. So. I think individuals need to start putting these huge companies into account because there's a lot of greenwashing going on. Uh, companies are claiming to be sustainable just because now it's the new buzzword. And companies which had started like us to really, you know, do the work, um, go do the grassroots work, work with farmers, create relationships, talk to customers. Uh, we, we're just seeing a very evil trend of big companies just plastering on their packaging that uh, this packaging is green and you can literally see it's plastic and which is not right. So I think customers should really, you know, look into these big corporations and, and hold them into account so that they can stop really uh, diluting the conversations about sustainability. And also <clears throat> I think um, just, you know, getting into period con i mean sorry um and conversations about environmental conservation should be in the syllabuses and also lastly but not least circular economy which is the future of businesses should be something that is taught in both uh, school going institutions and even in existing businesses as we speak because that is where we are going and the infrastructure should start now, if, if that is where we, we want to go in the next 20 to 30 years. And of course, um, lastly but not least is 
fairness. So, you know, when it comes to the medical racism of having products brought to, to Africa, which are substandard, and we want to, you know, have the feeling of the same experience with women in the Western, uh, in the global North, that we don't feel as if our periods don't matter. So having that universal conversations about periods should be the same for all is also very important so that we can make the menstruation industry become inclusive. Um, yeah, so that's just maybe a bit of that. And last but not least, Shane, is just to say about male allies. I feel like uh, the only way we're going to get together is we, if we move together as a race of both men and women. And honestly speaking, none of us would be here without periods. So it's, it's very important for men to hold, you know, uh, companies which are trying to advance the menstrual equity in the world and conversations and podcasts such as this are very important. And I really thank you for having a platform to even talk about menstruation. You know, it's, it's really heartwarming to be and I'm really grateful for that. Well, th thank you very much. I, you've clearly not only thought a lot about these issues, but you're also putting them into practice and uh, really making an impact on so many levels. So Mary, I really appreciate your time coming onto the show and um, we'll definitely uh, put a little bit of information in the, in the details uh, about how people, listeners can support and best of luck over the next year, scaling up and, and raising that capital. Yay, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. So again, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Mary and yeah, her enthusiasm was definitely infectious. Um, you can definitely see uh, her motivation in trying to take menstruation matters seriously and the exciting work that she's doing and the benefit that she's uh, providing to the local communities all around Kenya and East Africa. Um, and so that was really great to see. Uh, I wanted to basically use this uh, theme uh, of, of uh, utilizing agricultural waste as kind of our next uh, task uh, and really trying to understand what are some of the local agricultural waste products that are being produced in your local communities, whether it's your local city, your counties, uh, and try to see if there are actually local uh, companies um, that are, are trying to utilize them and do so in a way that's providing local jobs, uh, providing local benefits. So if that's something that you can just do a little bit of digging and, and, and looking and seeing, are there alternative local companies that are doing exciting work in the circular economy space? Um, and how can, are there steps that we can take to, to support them? So that's uh, my, my focus for the next week. Uh, wrapping up from the previous week, uh, with uh, Jean Wiener and uh, going out and preserving uh, and appreciating the local natural ecosystems, including marine, marine ecosystems. I uh, went with a few friends and we actually went stand up paddle boarding um, out in the ocean, which is super cool. A little bit uh, windy and uh, some waves. So it took a little bit of time to find our sea legs and be able to stand uh, on the stand up paddle boards but we did rent them and we explored the uh, La Jolla State Marine Reserve, uh, which is in San Diego. So that was really, really fun. Um, beautiful to see all the cliffs, tons of uh, sea life. We, we actually saw, I saw the, the uh, largest 
jellyfish that I'd ever seen in the wild. It was probably about three or four feet, about a meter long. Um, it was a purple striped jellyfish, uh, which was really cool. Uh, apparently they, they, they travel the, the length of the West coast of the United States. Um, so that was fun to see. Saw a bunch of fish, uh, schools of sardines, uh, saw some Garibaldi, which are really bright orange. Uh, so it's very easy to spot them. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, and then just really enjoyed being outdoors and enjoying these, these natural spaces that just, um, uh, appreciating them. It was really, really enjoyable. So, um, that was my, I enjoyed that. I'm probably going to keep doing that and going for hikes and going to parks and just enjoying the outdoors. And, uh, I hope, uh, you were able to enjoy your, your, uh, local, um, park, uh, as well. And, um, hope you have a good week and, uh, we'll chat next week. Thanks.